We need some encouraging news, and Revelation chapter 14 is where we are today. And encouraging news is, I believe, what God will deliver to us today out of His Word. At least if you're a child of God, as we just sang. If you're a child of God, you will be encouraged today from Revelation chapter 14. And here's why. Revelation chapter 14 is a preview of the end. We've been looking at these seven years of tribulation, which is what Revelation chapter 5 through 19 is all about. And Revelation chapter 14 is a preview of the final moments of those seven years. Revelation chapter 12 from about three weeks ago gave us an overview of the main characters of the tribulation. Israel, Jesus, and Satan. Revelation chapter 13 introduced us to the main demonic characters or leadership during the seven years of tribulation, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Today, Revelation chapter 14 is going to transport us to the final moments of the seven years of tribulation where we are going to get to see Jesus standing in victory. There's a whole lot in chapter 14. We could spend a lot of time there. But I want you to feel the majesty of seeing Jesus in Revelation chapter 14. So I feel like it's necessary that we cover all of chapter 14 today. So to do that, you're going to have to be ready, all right? Stay awake, buckle up, write fast, and get your eyes up this morning and be looking for Jesus. The first thing that I want you to see in Revelation chapter 14 is a familiar sight. A familiar sight. And man, this familiar sight blessed me Monday when I turned the page from chapter 13 and I got to chapter 14 and I saw this familiar sight. Verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, John says, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. This is not the false prophet that we saw last week who was trying to look like a lamb. This is the Lamb, the Lamb of God. We haven't seen the Lamb of God in the book of Revelation since way back at Revelation chapter 5. You might remember in Revelation chapter 5, we saw God the Father seated on His throne, and in His right hand He had a scroll that sealed up with seven seals. That scroll is the title deed to all of creation. And there was no one that was found worthy to break those seals and open the scroll and usher in a new heaven and a new earth. And John said, I began to weep and weep because nobody was found worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And then John said, one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he is able to break the scroll and open the seals. And John says, when I heard that, I turned and I saw a lamb that looked like it had been slaughtered. But this lamb was standing. It's the lamb of God, Jesus, the son of God. And he ascended in Revelation 5 to the throne of his father and takes the title deed to all of creation from the hand of his father. And he begins to break each seal. And in doing that, he is beginning the process of reclaiming all of creation as his very own. Now, you might have, had, you might have forgotten that. In our journey from Revelation 5 to where we are right now, you, you might have lost sight of this fact, that it is Jesus all along that has been breaking these seals. It is Jesus in His 
sovereignty and His power that's bringing all of these things to pass. We spent a couple of weeks in the dark and gloomy and disturbing chapter, chapter 13. In the middle of that, you might have forgotten that Jesus was controlling all things. And that's a good reminder for us today because sometimes our lives feel like chapter 13. Sometimes our lives feel gloomy and dark and discouraging and chaotic, but Jesus is in control of every bit of that. And now we see him again in chapter 14 today. And listen, the Lamb of God is still standing. After all these things that have transpired, he is still standing. And verse 1 says that he is standing on Mount Zion. Some people believe this is John seeing Jesus in heaven. I don't think that's the case. I believe this is Jesus standing on the earth at the end of the seven years tribulation. He's standing on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Now you can disagree with me if you'd like to about that. But we can all agree it sure is good to see the Lamb in Revelation chapter 14 today. So we see that familiar sight. And then we see number two, faithful men. Faithful men, 144,000 of them to be precise. John says, then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now let me say a few things about these faithful men to you this morning. The first thing that I would say is this, they were protected by God. Through these seven years, these 144,000 men have been protected by God. We first met these men back in Revelation chapter 7. In Revelation chapter 7, God had selected 12,000 of these men from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were marked by God to be His special servants during these seven years of tribulation. And now we come to Revelation 14 at the end of these seven years and we see that God has been faithful to these men. God has protected these men during all that has taken place. And the name of Jesus and the name of the Father has been placed on their foreheads and that has been their protection. Through all the demonic and satanic attacks, they have been protected by God. If God is for us, who can be against us? I want you to see not only their protection, but I want you to see their praise. They're going to praise God. Verse 2 says, And I heard a voice from heaven. Listen, John is seeing Jesus and these 144,000 men on the earth, but he hears something from heaven. He says, It's like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. And no one, watch this, no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So John is seeing the Lamb and these 144,000 men standing there on Mount Zion. And he says, then he hears this unified voice. It sounds like roaring waters. He says it sounds like harpists playing their harps. In other words, this was harmonious and this was melodic. And John says they were singing a new song, a song that had never been sung before. And nobody could learn this song except the 144,000 men who were standing with Jesus at Mount Zion. And I believe these that are teaching those men this song I believe they're the same people we were introduced to back in Revelation chapter 7. Let me take you back there. Revelation chapter 7, 
verse 9. Just after we were first introduced to the 144,000, we get introduced to these people. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. And ever, amen. And then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I believe this is the group of people that John is hearing singing out of heaven. I believe this is the group of people that are teaching this new song to these 144,000 men that God has preserved through the tribulation. You say, who are these people? The elder just told us these are the men and women who during the tribulation turned to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Many of them were executed, lost their lives because of their faith in the Lord Jesus. But in this moment, they're singing a new song of praise and they're teaching it to the 144,000 that God has faithfully protected. So as we're looking at these faithful men, we see their protection, their praise, and now see their passion. These 144,000 men are passionate about Jesus. Verse 4 says, It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They are totally passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ. They have not spent these seven years worried about temporary things. They've not spent these seven years worried about earthly concerns. They have remained unmarried and totally devoted to Jesus. Notice that the Bible says it is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They followed the Lamb wherever He goes. That is passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can that be said of you today? Wherever the Lamb goes, you're going to find that guy. You're going to find that woman. Skip down to verse 5. And in their mouth no lie was found. For they're blameless. They're completely passionate about Jesus. Even when the heat was turned up on them to deny Him, to worship the beast, to take up the false religion, to capitulate to that false religion of the false prophet, they stood on the truth. And they spoke the truth. They didn't back up. They didn't back down. They were blameless, passionate about Jesus. These faithful men. We've seen their protection their praise, their passion. Now see their purpose. They have a purpose from God. Verse 4 says, It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for their virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Watch this. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God. Firstfruits for God and for the Lamb. 
The Old Testament introduces us to the principle of first fruits. God's people would give God a portion of their first fruits. They would set that aside to say, God, this is what you gave us first. And we're giving this back to you to go into your service, to be used for your service. We still practice that tradition, that act of worship today. We call it the tithe. We give God the first fruits of what he gives us. The tithe is not giving him what's left. It's giving him what's first. And we say, God, I'm giving back to you the first fruit that you've given to me. And I want this to be set aside for your service. Well, these men are the first fruits for God. They were set aside from all of the men and women of the tribulation. They were set aside to be instruments, God's servants during this time. And they were the first of many that God would harvest from the earth for Himself for those seven years. So what have we seen this morning, Grace Life? A familiar sight. Faithful men. And now I want us to hear some final messages. Beginning in verse 6. Three angels are dispatched out of heaven and they have three different messages. The messages kind of go like this. Good news, bad news, the worst news. The first angel, message number one, brings good news. It's the good news of the gospel. Verse six, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Listen to me. I believe this is the last time the gospel will be preached on this earth. I believe this is the last time an invitation will be given for people to turn in repentance and faith to trust Jesus Christ. To be saved. All the verses have been sung. Remember in the old days the preacher said, we're going to sing one more verse. If nobody comes, we'll close out the invitation. And how many of us heard preachers lie over and over? We're going to sing one more verse. And if nobody comes, that... Listen, we come to this place in Revelation, they're not singing another verse. This is it. This is the last opportunity. This is the end of the offer of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. That brings us to message number two, bad news. Because this message of grace is by and large rejected, message number two brings judgment. Verse eight says, another angel, a second, followed, saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Unlike the first angel who brought good news, this second angel brings bad news of judgment. As hard as it is to believe, after all of this, after all that has transpired in these seven years, there's still going to be, even after this last gospel message is preached, there's still going to be many, many, many men and women who reject Jesus as their Savior and their God. The message from this second angel is fallen, fallen. Is Babylon. You say, what does that mean? Babylon is speaking to the whole empire of the Antichrist. The whole religious system of the false prophet. Jesus is pronouncing judgment now on the political, the economic, and the religious empire. Jesus is now on the scene and He is reclaiming His creation. And then message number three. The worst news condemnation the rejection of the gospel resulted in judgment 
judgment results in condemnation. Verse 9, another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. These angels deliver these messages. And many men and women will reject these messages. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds are evil. So what have we seen? A familiar sight? Faithful men? Final warnings? And I want you to see a future reward. Future reward, verse 12. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit. Did you hear that? Even the Spirit got in on this pronouncement. You die in the Lord and you will be blessed. That they may rest. Remember those that rejected Jesus, we just heard, they'll get no rest. But those who die in the Lord will rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. The eternal fate of those who will reject Jesus could not be more different than the eternal fate for those who embrace Jesus. Who trust Him. We just read about the eternal torment that's coming for those who reject Jesus. Now we read that those who trust in Him and die will be blessed. They'll find rest. And they'll be rewarded. There's so much that I want to say about that. And we will, but not today. That'll be a little later in the book. What have we seen? Familiar sight. Faithful men. Final warning. Future reward. And now let's see final harvest. There's two. Two final harvests here. The first one has to do with the seven bold judgments that are about to be poured out. Rapid fire in the last moments of the tribulation. God has been pouring out His judgments through this process. Through the breaking of the seven seals. Through the blasting of those seven trumpet judgments. And in a rapid-fire fashion, the last moments of tribulation, Jesus will pour out His judgment in these seven bowls. We'll get the specifics of those probably next week. But remember, this is chapter 14. This is just an overview, just a preview of what's going to happen in those final moments of these seven years. So notice first the reaper of this first harvest of these seven bowl judgments. Verse 14, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. The reaper of this first harvest is none other than Jesus himself. He's robed in glory. He's crowned with honor. And in his hand, the Bible says, is a sharp sickle. This is a, a sharp, long, curved blade on a long handle. These sickles were used to be swung into harvest grain. It would cut the stalk of that grain 
down to the ground. This is a picture of Jesus coming to the earth and mowing down His enemies like a harvester cutting down the grain. Jesus is the reaper in this first harvest. How ripe it is. Verse 15 says, And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to Him who sat on the cloud. You see that? Jesus is on the cloud with the sickle. An angel gets dispatched out of heaven and says, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. It seems to me that God the Father has dispatched this angel to say to Jesus, Now is the time to swing the blade. Now is the time to reap this harvest. The time for judgment has come. God's grace has come to an end. God's anger has reached its fullness. Listen, for the first time in all of human history, in this moment, the grace of God is off the table. There is no more grace to be found. Verse 16 says, So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. You'll hear the details of that next week when we talk about those seven bold judgments. But there's a second harvest that we need to see. It's described beginning in verse 17. And there it's a description of the judgment that's going to take place at Armageddon. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come as well. But remember, this is chapter 14. This is a preview of what's to come. And here's harvest number two. Armageddon, verse 17 says, Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Notice this time it's not Jesus with the sickle, it's an angel. This time Jesus in this judgment is being assisted by holy angels. Verse 18 says, And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. It seems that whoever survives the seven bold judgments are gathered together now in one last great act of rebellion against God at a place that we call Armageddon. These remaining men and women are the final clusters of grapes from the vine of the earth. And verse 19 says, So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia, or 18, or excuse me, that would be about 180 miles. Revelation chapter 19 gives us a little more detail into this moment. And I want to invite you just to bow and close your eyes and just listen. Let me just read these words to you. And you just see it in your mind's eye. John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, 
were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in that moment, all of creation will be reclaimed by its Creator. That scroll will be completely unfolded and Jesus will claim what He alone is worthy to claim. Right now, our world is broken. Today, many of us feel that. Some of us today, our hearts are broken. We're tired and we're weary. We're confused. Of course we are. We're broken people. And we live in a broken world. But I came to tell you today, it will not always be this way. We will not always be broken people. And we will not always live in a broken world. Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He's on the way. Let's stand and let's worship. Let's think on this.